Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of, one, of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, the writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, it's going pretty good over here. We're two weeks away from maybe the best day in the calendar year, draft day, so we got some, some guys on to help us break it down, but I'm excited to talk about the draft today with you guys. Can I just correct you real quick and just say for Kings fans? Like, like for most other people, it's like the NBA finals or like, oh, it's the day my team made the playoffs. Like for the for Kings fans, it's draft day for everybody else. It's something normal. Sure. But when we're not in the draft mix anymore, we're going to miss it. I promise you that there will be draft <laughs> nights where we have like a, the 30th pick and we'll be a little, a little upset. <laughs> One of our two special guests today and a guy who's making a face right now, Sacramento Kings draft figurehead and a lover of all things apricot, Bryant West. Brian, how's it going? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be here with uh, all five, four of you guys. I got to say, if the Sacramento Kings are sitting at 30th in a draft in a couple years, I don't think I'm going to care all that much. I should have used 26 <laughs> or 20. Yeah. Now, even if it's that far, I, okay. I think uh, it's going to be a totally different experience uh, looking at later prospects than all right, which one of these guys can save our franchise? <laughs> our, uh, our second special guest today, he's the host of the King's uh, Pulse podcast, co-host of the King's Beat podcast, co-host of 12 other podcasts yet to be announced, and a hairless cat hater, Brendan Nunez. Brendan, how's it going? I'm doing good, guys. Uh, always happy to join you. And I don't believe Bryant. I think that he would absolutely research guys at the 30th pick, and I would do it with him. <laughs> Uh, last but certainly not least, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, general manager of a WBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French League himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on today. How's it going? Well, really good and uh, great to be with uh, Bryant and Brendan, uh, you know, get some inside information. And, and I just want to add, I was one of those people that remember when the Kings picked late in the draft and the excitement of uh, Kevin Martin and, uh, and some guys uh, that were picked late and uh, Gerald Wallace. And uh, they were obviously actually turned out a lot better picks than a couple of lottery picks later on. <laughs> Brendan wasn't born yet. I got to say that Kevin Martin draft was the first draft that I actually paid attention to and even remotely researched anybody in that area. And I had no idea who Kevin Martin was. So, you know, let's get back to that point. <laughs> well, you know, I always remember, I didn't really either. I haven't seen just haven't seen play a game one time, like Western Carolina catamounts, by the way, uh, and I'm Cullowee, North Carolina. And, you know, it's one of those guys, well, you got to check him out. And it's like, damn, he can really score, you know? Yeah. It was just one of those like, whoa, you know, I don't, have, I don't know if he can play in the NBA, but man, he can score. So we are exactly two weeks away, as Tony mentioned, uh, from the NBA draft. We've seen Monty McNair and company at Pro Days. We've seen and heard every single terrible bad trade proposal <laughs> and player, uh, player, player comp across the breadth of Al Gore's internet. And today we're going to talk about it. So I'm going to start with Jerry. Jerry, it's been it's been a little more than two weeks since last time we talked. But uh, what have you come away with in the last two weeks of your research? Have you have you uh, flip flopped at all on on who you want as a prospect or who you think the Kings should take? Where are you sitting at with two weeks to go before the Kings draft? Well, you know, I, I will say this: what 
what little work I've done, and I and I really I've, I've said every time I I'm, I'm not going to work at it. You know, that's just that's the bottom line. I won't work at it. I'll I'll kind of treat it as a a, a love loving hobby. But uh, the more I what little I've done, I am convinced this is a really good draft. That there's going to be a lot of guys. Uh, make the league and and I think it's going to be one of those drafts where you may pick 12th and take Davis out of Wisconsin he may turn out to be one of the best players in the league in three or four years you know I mean it's just just uh, I, I just think it could be one of those you know like last year's draft was that way pretty much and I and I, I wouldn't fault uh, the experts uh, saying there's a top three or four or whatever uh but uh, I, I just don't. I'm just not sure that the gap is as, as great as uh, as we're led to believe. Absolutely, uh, Tony. What about you? I know you've been uh, been gone for a little while. Have you uh, have you slid into uh, into a certain mindset yet? Are you uh, are you ready to uh, to declare who you want in the in the draft, or are you uh, you still uh, got some research to do? Well, I'm I'm planting my flag on uh, Jaden Ivy Island, um, unless one of the one of the top three above him drops but at this stage like like you were saying will i'm sick of the the garbage fake trades i'm sick of awful player comps just get the guy that at this stage seems like the best player at four and call it a day and figure the rest out later i agree with that the last part at least so brian brennan i uh we dragged you here today to uh to carry the heavy load for us a little bit here and to uh to talk about some of our uh, favorite prospects and some of the worst ideas i've ever seen on the internet and so uh, you guys can, uh, I'll, I'll let you guys carry it as much as you want to talk about a, a guy you can, but I wanted to start off with at least a couple of the favorites for the pick at number four. Uh, obviously discussion has been kind of up and down. You see one player one week be the favorite. And then by the next week, somebody else has kind of taken over as the, as the, uh, you know, the cream of the crop. So I want to start off with a uh, Jaden Ivy, the six, four shooting guard out of Purdue and just, uh, and just make his case for uh, why, why he should be the pick for the Sacramento Kings right now. Go ahead, Brian. Uh, Jaden Ivey, to me, is the most likely of that top four to fall, although, you know, who knows? Pretty much any one of those guys could fall, and I wouldn't be floored at this point because, honestly, there's four guys who all are probably going into this process thinking they deserve to be top three guys, so who knows how that all shakes up. Um, and like Jerry said, the top X number of players in any draft is never – how it actually ends up. But at this point, to me, Jaden Ivey is the most likely of that top four to fall. And if he's the one that's there, I'd select him pretty happily. Um, just a complete game changer athletically on both ends of the court. And he comes paired with the real knowledge of how to use those tools on offense. Uh, can just get to the basket pretty much anytime he wants in college. That'll be a little bit different in the NBA as it always is. But He's in the top tier in terms of speed on the court, functional athleticism, hops. Uh, and I think a lot of the rest of his game is very promising. His shot very, very much improved this year. I want to see him take more mid-range shots, but he's a, a promising outside shooter, good at the line. And pretty much the rest of his game is somewhat more up in the air, but he just he's been a guy who improved so drastically from year one to year two that you know that he's a gym rat at this point. So uh, if he comes in and he improves his playmaking and becomes more of a secondary combo initiator, I think he can be a good offensive fit next to De'Aaron Fox. 
and DeMontis Sabonis, especially since even at Purdue, he wasn't a incredibly ball dominant guard. He shot 141 shots off the catch last year. We know that'll probably be something to that the Kings will really look forward to with uh, anybody next to the Aaron Fox. His defense has to improve. I know everybody's going to say that, so it, it's not good right now, and that's not a great thing if you're the Sacramento Kings. But to me, he would be the most talented prospect on the board left at four, and he'd be the one I'd hope they'd take. Yeah, I mean, this uh, happens often, but I mostly agree with everything that Brian has to say about him. I, I think that the fit offensively, I understand why there's concerns and questions with when it comes to Ivy and Fox. I, you know, obviously they, they both need to hit their high-end percentile outcomes when it comes to being shooters. I, I think that Ivy has a lot of potential there. He kind of slowed down as the year went along and the athleticism is the clear standout that is what gives him to, to me star potential when I look at Jaden Ivy. And I think the playmaking needs to improve. I'll be really interested to see how he does function without the ball in his hands. I know he ran as a two guard most of the time at Purdue this year, but it would be a different level alongside Fox and Sabonis. And, and Fox is obviously going through his own little transition of playing alongside Sabonis and, and factoring as a cutter. And I think Ivy could succeed in that way as well. Um, and defensively, I'm not really counting that you get anything out of Ivy, but if you do, it's a positive. Like that's where the fit is a little bit questionable to me on the defensive end. Um, what's your perimeter containment look like? Ivy has better size than I think you would initially think. Like 6'4 is is decent size for a two guard. Um, and he's got the athletic tools to stay in front of guys. It's just about being, being disciplined and kind of giving his all on that end. And if he's asked to do a little, little bit less on offense, maybe you could get more effort on the defensive end. Um, but to me, it, it comes back down to the Kings' only opportunity in my mind to get star talent is kind of the draft. I mean, maybe there's a crazy trade at some point, but more often than not, you're including draft picks like Tyrese uh, being as good as he was at 12 is what was able to net them Sabonis. Um, so organization like Sacramento, you only get so many chances to get a star and number four is there. I, I don't feel like they can pass on one of the guys that in my mind has star potential. And I think Ivy is one of those. Jerry is, is in your mind, is Jaden Ivy the, uh, the most likely to, to produce a star level talent out of, uh, out of Sacramento if he's the one who gets picked? Well, I, I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, I think his athleticism is certainly kind of off the charts. You know, he's uh, what little I've studied him. He kind of almost reminds me, I don't know, I hate to make comps, but uh, a better version at the same stage of, of, of Maxi at Philadelphia. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's still kind of searching for, for his position, so to speak. You know, his playmaking, as these guys have pointed out, it, I, I think is a work in progress. His shooting will have to get better, uh, but his, his stroke, when you watch it and it looks good, you know, I, I think it'll get there. Uh, why he's not a good defender, I, I'm not sure. You know, it's a lot, lot like we've asked about Fox for years. Uh, why, why he, you know, why he couldn't be terrific defender. And I'm surprised and concerned a little, but the fact that he's not playing for Matt Painter at Purdue, because uh, I think he's done a marvelous job over the years getting guys to really lock up guys. And so uh, does, does he look like a, a sure star? I, I, I wouldn't say that. I'm just, I'm just too old and cynical for, for everybody. Uh, but, but he's probably, his athleticism leads you to believe that he's the one in today's game, 
in today's game where, where wings and ability to beat people off the dribble uh, uh, and all that comes into play big time as, uh, as we see in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I'd say that. And I love Keegan Murray, by the way. I won't back off that a bit. I, I'm not at all sure that he can't be a star differently. But uh, but his athleticism doesn't jump out at you like this guy's. Tony, is uh, is there any concern from you at least of uh, of a uh, Kevin Martin uh, Tyreek Evans situation here, where I, I'm getting flashbacks to the last time we picked number four and how that turned out mm. for uh, for the lead guard who who was the star of the team at that point in time. Yeah, but I think I'm at the stage and some Kings fans are with me, some aren't, where this is now just on De'Aaron Fox to me. Like, I'm I, I'm not going to keep drafting guys because Fox can't find a way to still be effective with another guard who needs the ball in his hands. Like, teams have multiple ball handlers now. Fox, frankly, is not good enough to, to, to be the guy that has it all the time where we now can't draft or acquire anyone else who needs the ball just because Fox can't find a way to play good basketball without it. So... To me, this is a, a Fox problem, a Fox question. I'm not going to like not draft Ivy because of this. And I don't want to go too far into the future here, but Davion Mitchell had a very strong uh, run at the end of the season. If Fox is not the guy, you can move him. If Ivy is the guy, that decision maybe gets a little bit easier. And we talk about the defensive issues with uh, Ivy, Fox, backcourt. Uh, Davion Mitchell can fix a lot of that. Uh, defending the most difficult guard in the other team every night. So the Kings have options here. Like they're not, I don't think they're locked into always doing what's best for Fox. I think seeing Monty McNair trade Tyrese Halliburton has now put everything on the table for me. If they're, if you're going to trade Tyrese Halliburton, then yeah, he could absolutely trade De'Aaron Fox if that pairing doesn't match up. You know, one, one thing I would like to add on the Ivy thing a little bit is I, I'm, I'm let be less concerned drafting him, uh, because of Sabonis, you know, I, I just think having Sabonis makes it uh, makes him a much easier fit because uh, uh, really it, what he lacks in playmaking, he, he makes up in scoring and certainly he will move without the ball and things of that nature. So, you know, I, you know, it's, it's like, say he doesn't fit the, the exact position, but certainly uh, he's a basketball player. And, and I think the fact, yeah, like I say, I, I just believe that having some bonus makes a lot of guys better fits. Absolutely. All right, I'm going to go to uh, to Jerry's favorite now, only because I'd like to I'd like to hear Jerry spend 30 minutes discussing this. Um, uh, Keegan Murray, uh, Bryant, and Brennan out of uh, out of Iowa. Uh, would you talk about the six eight power forward? Yeah, I just wrote a profile on him uh, yesterday at the Kings Herald. Um, I I do agree with what Jerry said there about he's got star in his in his future just in a different way i think he can absolutely be a star role player and and everybody who talks about you know his fit on paper with this team uh his ability to play pretty quickly his ability to improve this team on both ends of the court like that's all completely true um i think like keegan murray will help this team on both ends from day one I think the difference when you're looking at what a star role player in Keegan Murray's context versus what we were just talking about, Jay Nivey era, Jay Nivey's offense is really clear. Like he's going to get his buckets, drive into the basket and shooting threes. Keegan Murray is a really good three-point shooter. And I think to me, that's his number one trait going forward. Uh, three, 39% from deep, 4.7 attempts per game. 
to me, the rest of his offensive game, he's very versatile. I have no doubt that he's going to find ways to help his team and score buckets. I think what needs to happen is that he need, he's going to need to adjust how he played going into the NBA. And that's not saying much because every player who goes from college to the NBA has to adjust in so many aspects. But to me, if Keegan Murray is going to be a, a high scorer in the league, he's really got to improve either as a off the dribble shooter or at attacking the basket. Uh, he only had 41 attempts of off the dribble shooting at Iowa last year, which I think is a little misleading because all of his highlight reels start with those shots. They're promising, but the volume is just not there to make me think that it's a guaranteed skill. And when he's driving to the basket, he doesn't create advantages to the point where I can point to it and be like, that's what he's going to do at the NBA. Like he wasn't beating guys off the dribble in college. He was just craftier once he got there or just longer or, you know, really good footwork when he got to the basket. And in college at 6'8", he can do that pretty dang well. In the NBA against guys his size, guys who are faster than him, I'm less sure that that's going to be as locked in a shot. Now, am I nitpicking him probably a little bit? Yeah, especially if you're kind of drafting him as that fourth scorer on a team. But if if you're expecting him to live up to the traditional hype of a top four guy, I think that that might be a little misleading. Yeah, that's where the conversation of Keegan is complicated in my mind. Um, I, I think Bryant laid him out there as as a player amazingly, like ridiculously efficient. I, I think of Keegan as a good starter in the league. Um, and I think that there is a lot of value in that. Obviously, the Kings need a couple good starters still. So I, I see how that works uh, with the Kings and the obvious fit there. To me, I, I don't know where he's a difference maker. Um, I, I don't know where he's, his elite skill is, and maybe it's shooting. Like I agree with Bryant. That's probably what I view as his best skill. Um, but how good can he be on high volume in the, at the NBA level? Um, if that is a 40% on, on some good volume five a night sort of thing, then that's extremely valuable. Like there is some shooting off movement that, uh, we saw at Iowa that I was pretty impressed with. Um, but that's in my mind, what it would be on the offensive end. And he does a good job, like Brian said, of attacking closeouts. I didn't think his passing was amazing, but also he does a really good job of taking care of the basketball, uh, only 1.1 turnovers per game in the 31 minutes, 32 minutes he's playing as a primary option is really impressive. Um, so I don't think that he tries anything all too creative, but he's also um, pretty safe out there. He doesn't make the wrong play very often. Um, more often than not, he's just making the right play out there. I just don't see where the ceiling is um, when it comes to being a real difference maker. I think he's a notable improvement from a admittedly low bar of what the starting four has been in Sacramento for a little while now with Marvin Bagley, Chemezi Metu, uh, Maurice Harkless, like no disrespect. I think all those guys have their pros and cons, but um, I think that Keegan Murray comes in and is an improvement from that. I just don't know where his difference making is. I don't see it in the, in the defensive end. I think that he's a good defender. I just don't know that he's making a defense good um, and, and being like a contributing factor in that. So I, I really do like Keegan Murray as a prospect. It's the conversation around number four is where it gets weird to me. Jerry, what do you think about that? 
Well, I can't argue with a bit of that. I think everything they've said makes sense. Uh, I think the only uh, one little caveat I'd have or interesting that I picked up on, I watched uh, some games, uh, you know, which I actually did a little more than I've said I've done, but uh, the, uh, uh, basically uh, of Ivy a year ago and, and, uh, and Murray. And, and it's amazing. I think Murray improved dramatically more. They both improved. You know, and it, it, it just struck me. It's like, wow, if you watch Murray as a freshman and then this year, you're thinking, how in the hell did that happen? You know, I mean, now whether he's a fourth pick or the eighth pick, nobody would have had him in the top 150 a year ago. Well, I, I, I like that. And I, I won't apologize for that. I, I mean, a guy that really makes a huge jump because you think, well, shit, if he does that again, uh, you know, so it, it, it's uh He's intriguing. Uh, you know, and that's the danger. I mean, these guys hit it. Uh, the fourth pick, you're looking, you are looking for a star. And I, I, I've always believed that. I know Jeff Petrie, that was his motto. When you're low in the lottery, you're looking for a star. Now, you know, certainly the year that we drafted Tyreek Evans, I really thought we had one. And he should have been. And he should have been. Uh, you know, but, you know, things happen. <laughs> or, or DeMarcus Cousins at five. Well, he should have been but he was a dickhead. So what are you going to do? Uh, so, you know, you, you, you always, you knew that going in, but you thought you could change him. But I, I don't think uh, and, uh, there's nothing negative about either one of these guys and, uh, that, or the, the top three guys. I, I guess if I would just sum up the whole thing, I, I think the only guy that I'm sure won't miss that has no chance of missing is Jabari Smith. Uh, I think everybody else has got a chance to miss. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, just like we know that, you know, for every draft, there's a Jimmy Butler somewhere. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've always said, you know, the, the amazing draft of all time was when, when the Kings, we picked Jim Fredette, an all-time bust. And the 60th pick was Isaiah Thomas, who finished third in MVP voting for another team later on. He, if you held that draft over uh, during, you know, he'd have been a top five. <laughs> and Jimmer would have been 140. Drew, do you have anyone else you want to insult today? Let's just get it out right now. Let's just, let's just punch below the belt today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Just, I, I can't help myself sometime. I, no, no. <laughs> you know, it just, it just bothers me to see guys that could and should have been real stars not be. I'm going to loop back to Jimmer for a second because I think Jimmer is actually a really good comparison for Murray in one specific way is that, you know, I, I talked about it just now. I talked about it in my piece. I do think that Keegan Murray, it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword when you watch his college tape to how I think he'll be used at the next level. But the most important thing is that I have no doubt that Keegan Murray is going to take whatever his next coach's plan is for him and, and figure out how to thrive in it. And he's not going to be one of those guys that sits there and, and is like, Hey, I, I only want to play the way that I was in college when I was a star. And you know, that was Jimmer's problem. Jimmer wanted to be BYU Jimmer. So I'm yeah. not worried about that with Keegan Murray. No, you're right on Jimmer. I mean, I honestly think in the different circumstances, it might have worked to some degree. Uh, he should have been able to carve out a niche as an off-the-bench scorer, but uh, Jimmer just couldn't come to grips with that, that he wasn't a point guard. And, and as all you guys know, that 
you know, it's about the second or third preseason game. We could all figure out that like, whoops, that little guy's better than the one we drafted in the lottery. <laughs> Tony, do you have any, uh, any thoughts that haven't been shared on, uh, on Keegan Murray? Not really. Other than, you know, I, this has been a debate that we've had internally. You see it, you know, if you view draft Twitter, NBA Twitter, Kings Twitter, it's been Keegan Murray versus Ivy for the most part with a little bit of shade on sharp. And I would say that this is not going to be a draft where at least me, I don't want to speak for every Kings fan. This is not like a, a Doncic Bagley thing where if that, if that next guy comes up, I'm going to be terribly disappointed and I'm going to get the pitchforks out and I'm going to be on Twitter being an asshole. Uh, Keegan Murray is not, not that I'd be very um, happy, happy, Maybe he's nothing satisfied with Keegan Murray. I think that's a solid, good pick, even though I would prefer Ivy. This isn't a year where it's two guys, and I would view one as like a disaster mistake. So before we get to, uh, to other candidates that I think will be there at four, I'm, I'm interested to hear about what you guys think of the top three candidates in terms of which one is the most likely to fall. Because as we know, as, as was discussed a little bit in the opener there, that the, the, the top three are never the top three all the way through. And right now, this is maybe the most solid a top three that I've I've heard of in like 10 years, maybe that like, it's like, Oh, we know where those three are going to, are going to go. We just don't know quite the order they're going to go in. Um, do you guys have any preference, not necessarily a preference, but do you guys have any, I guess we could call them predictions on who's going to be the guy to drop out of the top three. If one of them's going to drop and, and how they might fit with the Sacramento Kings, Brian, I, I guess I can, I guess we can just keep this order. Brian, Brennan, do you guys have somebody who you think out of, Chet Holmgren, uh, Jabari Smith, and uh, Paolo Bancaro. Which one of those guys ends up uh, possibly dropping to four for the Kings? I don't know which one I would predict um, would fall. Pretty much not Jabari, like Chet or Paolo. Um, yeah. I'm going to pick Chet just to use that as an excuse to talk about him because I love Chet Holmgren. Um, the seven-foot, ridiculously versatile in his year at um, – Gonzaga, I the, he's kind of what I view as like elite role player. I feel like that's how you're. Ta- I'm talking about both Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, and like, pro- and that almost sounds like downplaying them. But I think that Chet Holmgren is so good on the defensive end with his ridiculous length. I think he has really good timing. Um, obviously, being 195 is concerning. I, I understand why there's concerns with that. I mean. Freaking Davion Mitchell, Dante DiVincenzo, Terrence Davis, all those guys were more than Chet Holmgren, which is pretty ridiculous. Uh, he's got a foot on Davion about, and Davion weighs more than him. So pretty funny. I get why that's concerns. Um, but Chet had no issues being physical uh, during his season this year at Gonzaga. Like he went body to body with um, Jalen Duran in the tournament and held his own. He's not somebody that's making a phenomenal difference on the offensive end in my mind, but I think his defensive impact is what really stands out to me. And it's something that Sacramento really needs. I I think that again, the length timing IQ, I I think that he has really good rotations. And I think that when the weight concerns come in and and talking about him defending a post-up, well, if you're talking in the context of the Sacramento Kings, just have Sabonis do it. And the long guy in Chet Holmgren, that's, smart and with good timing and great length it makes for a really good help defender so that way Sabonis can actually deal with the likes of uh, Joel Embiid Nikola Jokic when he has a sort of help defender like this Um, there's the weak side rim protection that I think was really impressive with Chad I thought he did a decent job uh, switching on the perimeter at least I don't think that that's how he's ideally used I thought he was really really good in a drop but I, I think that 
he's not somebody that'll get targeted on the perimeter by any means. And then offensively, almost feels like whatever you're getting from him is a plus. And, and the primary thing is his three-point shot. Um, he's really confident with it. He, he's got a smooth-looking shot, as smooth as it can get for somebody that's 195 and, and seven foot. Uh, but 39% from three on 3.3 per game. He's, he's really confident with it. He's sneakily good at putting the ball on the deck. I don't know that I want him initiating offense. Actually, I know that I don't want him initiating offense, um, but I think that he can do a decent job of pump faking and attacking and closeout and then making the right read from there. So I think he makes for a really good connector on offense with maybe potential to be a little bit more specifically in transition where he, he runs the court really well. Um, and specifically that three-point shooting on offense. And then defensively, I, I think Chet is somebody that has a ceiling of being in defense player of the year conversations. And maybe I'm not concerned enough about the weight issues and in what is a pretty physical league in the NBA, but I, I think the length and uh, his willingness to be physical, and he probably will put on some weight in an NBA system. Uh, I really like Chet and also think he's a pretty good fit alongside Sabonis. Well, I also agree that Chet Holmgren is a damn good fit next to Sabonis. Just want to reiterate that. Um, it's really hard for me to look at any one of these three forwards, and I am counting Chet as a forward, and say, I think they're going to fall. And it's kind of the same way as Ivy. Like when you watch Ivy's tape, he seems like the exact kind of, I mean, aside from the lack of playmaking, he seems like the kind of guy that. Uh, NBA GMs would want to go out and get. So again, I really feel like this is four guys who are all, all of their camps are just going to go through this whole process with the assumption, well, maybe not the assumption, projecting that they think their guy's going to go top three. One of them is going to fall. And I mean, if, if it's going to be Paulo Bancaro, I think it'll just be because, uh, teams may not be so confident in the outside shot or the defense. If it's going to be Chet, it's going to be because GMs are really more worried about the, the weight issue than I think a lot of us are, but I'm just using this ex, uh, as an excuse to talk about uh, Jabari Smith, who I also agree almost certainly isn't going to fall to four. Um, but man, if he does, I think it'll be because some teams overthink what is missing from his offensive game um like 610 ridiculous outside shooter leading scorer for auburn pretty much the only shooter that that team had uh took them to i think a second seed in the ncaa tournament really good all year long incredible shooting numbers but when you look at it i think it was something like 10 percent of his offense came at the rim which is just an absolutely incredible shot diet for a normal 610 guy and when you look at how you look at his percentages at the rim, he definitely doesn't have great touch when he gets to the rim. His dribbling game isn't great. So if you're looking for a three-level score, Jabari Smith ain't it. But just consider that I just said that, and he was the leading scorer on Auburn, a team that was in the top 10 all season long, was really good all season long. And he was the one top of the scouting report every night long. And he still ended up shooting 42% from three on absolutely ridiculous volume, uh, really good off the dribble too. So to me, if he falls to four, it's because people are overthinking it and I'm celebrating in Sacramento. Cause to me, he's going to be number one on my Kings board. 
Jerry, what do you think about that? Do you think that uh, somebody like Jabari Smith only because you you mentioned that you think that he's you know kind of unbreakable. He's the one that is absolutely guaranteed to make it. Do you do you feel that uh do you feel that same way about what Bryant said? Yes, I do. I mean, I think he's his game translates to the NBA. I think easier. Uh, you know what he does, what he did in college, he'll do in the NBA. I think tomorrow. Uh, he's going to make shots. He's big. He can get them off. And, and you know, the other thing I, I thought just he, the guards he played with probably helped him less than any set of guards in the, in the college game. You know, I think they were all, they thought they were Jaden Ivey, all each one of them. Uh, but so, so I think uh, the game, you know, he's one of those guys that the game might actually get easier in the NBA. Uh, uh, you know, the stroke is just, special i think and uh you know they, they hear again he he's like all three of those off everybody we're talking about uh i think some luckily uh, Sabonis is a great fit for him uh but but to me he's a guy that that won't slip i i, uh, I kind of get back to the uh chet holmgren thing i have another thought on that is that you know i i'm that's one of the advantages or disadvantages. There's not many advantages of being old. I, re I remember Pal Gasol as an 18-year-old, and I spent quite a bit of time watching him. And, and I'll tell you, everything people say about Holmgren, they, they said about him on the negative side. Ah, he's too skinny. Yeah, wait till he'll get broken half in the NBA. Uh, you know, yeah, he can shoot, but what's he going to do in the post? Uh, this, that, and the other. And it's like, you know, he turned out pretty good. Uh <laughs> And, and I think, uh, you know, I think Holmgren's got enough skill in shooting, uh, you know, and certainly he'd be an absolute great fit with Sabonis. I mean, he'd be better than Mo Bamba, in fact. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, but, but I, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the strength thing, if this was 1975, I think it'd be a bigger factor than it is in 2022. I really do. I think the game skill is more of a factor than size and strength and and uh you know he yeah to me if he's if he's available at three you know you don't have to think too long uh you know banchero uh i i i would think he's the guy that could could slide uh you know and and i think he's going to be really good but uh I honestly think if, in fact, Ivy's gone and you're looking at Banchero and Keegan Murray, I think that's a real discussion. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think that's that's a little bit a little bit more of a discussion than you might might think it ought to be. I don't know. What, what do you, Jerry, would you give a little bit of reasoning behind that? Is that you were just nervous of big guys from Duke at this point as a Sacramento Kings fan? Well, I actually hadn't thought of that. But that's a great point. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we've seen Jabari Parker and, and, and Marvin Bagley. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that does happen. But there's also Grant Hills of the world, too. So, you know, just, not no, this time, I, Coach you, K. <laughs> but you got to you got to look at it at fairly. I, I just think, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I like Murray's shooting ability so much better in a, in a game in the league that really, you know, there's a real value on just knocking down open threes. And uh, now, now Banchero probably gives you, you know, he's certainly going to post better and things like that, bigger, stronger kid. And, and I, I'm not knocking him. I, if the Kings were to get Banchero, I'd be thrilled to death. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's just, I, I just think that's a, would deserve maybe a little more study than it's been given. That's all I'd say to it.
I want to back Jerry up in that Keegan Murray in terms of deep shot is much more proven at this point than Paula Bancaro. I do want to say the one thing that I keep coming back to with Paula Bancaro's uh, shooting numbers, and they're not great, 35%, didn't take enough in my mind, is that he is a master of the pull-up mid-range. Like, you look at his pull-up numbers, he was shot 47.5% on mid-range pull-ups. His, his ability to take the ball on the perimeter and either get it straight to the basket or pull up if a guy's kind of hedging on him is just going to be a creation ability from the get-go that I'm just not so sure Keegan Murray is going to have immediately or even, you know, in the long term. Um, I know that Paulo Bancaro is going to have avenues to score at a high level. Um, is he as proven a shooter or even as a defender? I think Keegan Murray is a much better defender at this point than Paulo Bancaro. No, but I think that Paulo Bancaro's ceiling, like if I wasn't drafted for the Sacramento Kings and, uh, and I didn't have to think about Sabonis, he may be number one on my big board. Like his offensive skill set is missing a three-point shot, and that's pretty much it. Like his passing for a big man is as good as I've seen in college in a long time. So, all right, Tony, we've had three people being able to hype hype you up to uh, to one person that you think is going to fall. We've got discussions for all three. You get to be the uh, the deciding factor here the official prediction because everyone else got to discuss Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro. Who do you think is going to be the one to drop? I've been feeling this way for a while and I can't tell you why I kind of think Bancaro is going to drop. And I kind of think he's going to be the player of the Kings draft. And I kind of think we're going to be doing this. Uh, Kenny play with Sabonis conversation for the next like four months. Cause he's the one guy in this top four who can't really shoot has questionable defense, the, the things we've talked about this team needing for so long. And I, I think he's too good to not draft it for. Um, but I do think that's kind of where we're going to find ourselves in the, the classic like Kings. We're going to get the last player that drops out of this tier spot. It's going to be the one that is the kind of most awkward fit, even though it, you know, it might not be the worst fit in the world, but it's a little bit more awkward than the other three players in that four. And we're going to have to figure that one out. That's kind of how I've, I've leaned on this draft because someone, you know, we've talked about this last episode. We've talked about this for months. The, the top three, this uh, we're kind of late in the process now, but this has been the top three for a while. And it rarely works out that the draft kind of goes that stock from what the mock drafters have had predicted for months now. And I know like everyone else here, I'm watching all the mock drafts. I'm reading all the reports, listening to all the podcasts, waiting to, make up my mind with who is going to be the guy that drops, who's going to be the team that falls in love with Jaden Ivey. And we haven't really seen that yet. Like there isn't that one team that we've heard is reportedly like obsessed with this guard who can, who can really score. So it's hard to make a prediction because the reports just have not come out. Like I thought they would by this point, it has remained like these are the top three guys and we'll see if anyone makes any movement. We have two weeks left to go, but uh, at least from what we're like the reports that are coming out, we have not seen Ivy break through yet. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think it'll be Houston. I think Houston will just fall in love with Ivy enough or they'll, they'll, they will turn to that pro day and they just got enamored enough to go, Oh, we want that green Ivy backcourt and Alperin Shangun there. You know, not obviously the same player as, as what Bancaro is, but he's enough, you know, he's, he's got shades enough of, of, of star in the future that they can go, we can afford to pass on Bancaro because we've got Shangun. 
and so they they let uh they let him slip for a for a high powered guard and the kings end up uh end up with a, another big guy from duke uh with all the questions in the world about how he can play defense so um let's uh unless, if, unless you guys got anything else i'm I, I can see brendan you want last word i'm curious jerry's thoughts of how much the current position of the kings should matter and the current roster should matter with the number four pick well really uh it shouldn't because that first it, it you know you really uh you really need a star i mean and i think you guys have spoke to that i agree with that i mean that's what you need and if you're sure if you're and you can never be sure but if you're more sure of one guy having a chance to be a star that's available there when you pick that's who you should take and sort it out later uh you can always trade good players uh so yeah i i mean whether they'll try to say, you know, make, uh, I, I said last year too. I mean, I think that if you're not sure if, if, if say, well, we think this one guy is better, the best player available, we're not sure. And the other guy is really close and he fits the need better. I think you can make that case, but, uh, but if you're sure one guy's, one guy's the best guy on the board uh, and, and you can say, you know, in your own mind can say, uh, we think within three to four years, this guy has a chance to be an all-star level player. The other guy does not have a chance to be an all-star level player. Then you better take the all-star level player because last time we checked, the Kings do not have enough all-star level players. That would be my assessment of the situation. Right now, I think we just got one. And it's the big fella. Okay, so we got a couple other guys here that I, I want I want Brian and Brendan to get their their paws on. And these are guys that uh, were you know they're kind of tweeners. They're kind of they they could be there at four if the Kings go crazy. They're probably more likely as a trade down target, which we'll get to trade downs uh, a little bit later. But um, uh, uh, specifically, I'm talking about uh, Shaden Sharp and AJ Griffin. Although if you guys have other candidates for somebody who might make a surprise visit to number four certainly throw those out there as well. So I'll let you guys pick whichever one you want to break down first and we can jump from there. Yeah, I guess we'll do the the mystery man, Shaden Sharp, and then I'll leave uh, Bryant's crush, AJ Griffin, to him there. <laughs> Sharp is a tough eval for sure. Um, just watching EYBL and, and high school clips is quite the change of context compared to watching all these other guys in the NCAA. Um, and there's intriguing athleticism. It's, it's really hard to know much about sharp. And I think there's a little bit of a bad taste in some people's mouths of they already didn't know much about him. And then he didn't do anything at the combine and what sort of workouts is he willing to do for teams? Um, I, I thought that him going to the combine and, and being, a part of that would have been really beneficial, especially with just not having seen him that much. Um, there's question marks about his effort levels when it came to how much he was performing, even at the practices of Kentucky throughout this season. Um, I, I mean, when it comes to the Sacramento Kings, it's just like he's such a wild card where I'm not even sure what to call the ceiling. And the floor seems extremely low for somebody that you're talking about is potentially the fourth overall pick. Um, I understand there's athleticism, there's hypothetically shooting. It feels like everything is hypothetical and it's a tough situation because the organization is going to have so many more resources available to them to do the proper research on sharp compared to 
what someone like I'm able to do. Um, so that puts, it's a little bit of a tough eval, but he just feels like so much of a question mark that unless the front office got phenomenal Intel on him and really liked what they saw in a workout. And even then uh, not having seen him compete against NCAA level talent is it's just a tough eval and feels a little too risky in my mind. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I just keep coming back to if you're wanting to swing for the fences on Shaden Sharp, and that's what it is. Cause I mean, he hasn't played in, in 14 months, I think. And, and it's, it's always so much harder to do a full eval beyond skills uh, of have guys who only played in high school. Cause you don't see them under the highest pressure situations like the college guys did. Um, that itself won't keep him from being a star, but if you're swinging for the fences, like any one of the four that we've talked about is going to be there at four. And in my mind have way less uh, questions about their game and way more assurities that they proved in college, all of them playing against really high level competition throughout the whole season. So um, my guy, as uh, Brendan talked about is AJ Griffin. Um, I don't actually think the Kings will take him because he is probably the worst defender that we're going to talk about in this area. But when you talk about shooting, like aside from Jabari Smith Jr., he's the best shooter in this class in my mind. Uh, an absolutely ridiculous catch and shoot guy. That was pretty much the only thing that Duke let him do this year. But he also had some real strong flashes of off the dribble shooting at higher volume than some of the other guys we're talking about. Um, some moments at the rim that made me go like, hey, this 6'6 guy who's 225 pounds, if he can improve his dribbling ability on the move and and figure out how he can play defense despite being incredibly uh, slow-footed, like the two-way upside's really there and his fit with the Kings in terms of his shooting ability is just is unquestionable. That said, I don't think the Sacramento Kings should draft him or that they will, but I hope he goes somewhere that's patient with him, that really puts him in a weight room and helps him figure out the ideal uh, weight combination that he needs to play at to optimize him on both ends. Uh, and so I just hope he goes somewhere patient. Jerry, are there any, any candidates that you've seen outside of the ones that we've already talked about? Maybe one that uh, Brian or Brendan brought up that you've, uh, that you've seen or that, that you're impressed by? Well, the uh, Sochin uh, kid, uh, I, I like him. I don't, you know, I, I can't, you know, I wouldn't take him at four with, with the prospects there, but I, it seems like, a, you know, he's one of those guys that, to me, you just see and say, that guy's going to play in the league a long time. You know, and, and he looks like he could play on a good team. And that's, but, uh, you know, where he'll be taken, I'm, you know, probably could be anywhere from, I don't know, eight to 28, you know, probably. But uh, I like, I, I do, I like watching him play, I guess, as, as much as anything. Sure. And, and uh, be one of those guys you probably, if you were a young team trying to get better, you sure would like to have him on your roster, I think. Sure. I'm curious your thoughts on a guy like Shaden Sharp, who played his junior year, played some of the senior year before he reclassified, didn't play at Kentucky, refused to, to do anything outside of just individual workouts, and is now hoping to be a top four pick. 
I, I look at the, I look at everybody else on the board and to me, he seems like a guy that, you know, where he's kind of predicted to go between four and seven, I could see him dropping all the way to the end of the lottery or out of the lottery completely just because he hasn't, he hasn't shown anything. He hasn't been, you know, been available to, to actually play basketball since his junior year of high school, basically. Jerry, as a, as a former GM, as a, somebody who scouted for a long time in this league, what are your concerns with a guy like Shaden Sharp? And do you feel like he's talented enough to overcome those? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not <laughs> sure anybody does. I, it strikes me that he and his agent and, and to a lesser degree himself, it's like, why wouldn't you want to prove yourself more? I mean, you obviously have to know that people have these questions. And uh, so that, that to me is a huge red flag. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I mean, just being around lottery picks for years, uh, 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 that that really strikes me as strange. I mean, uh, it'd be different if he had a, a decent background in college. I know he, the rep and all, and, 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 you know, I mean, I know he can, uh, you know, uh, break down a, a defender of none and uh, get good open shots. We've seen that, but uh, yeah, it's a, I, I don't know. I mean, I, the only thing it's, it, it tells me is that he thinks and his agent, I think have decided the less we show the, the, the lower we'll go in the draft. And, and I think that's uh, that, that uh, to me is not a very good strategy and it shouldn't be, you know, that uh, so I wouldn't take him. I mean, there's too many guys that have, you know, they were high school all Americans too and some late developers and they actually have done something and you've watched them do something. So, uh, yeah. so why would you want to do that? Uh, yeah. He, he'd be a, a real swing and a, a real swing, uh, uh, had a home run and great chance of striking out, I think. And especially with all the guys that, you know, you're looking at and just back to, I want to say something about Will Griffin. Will Griffin. Uh, hey, uh, hey, hey, let's go. Yeah, Will. Will, <laughs> actually, you might be quicker than AJ, but that's, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but my, that guy can shoot the ball. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, he'll find, if he could just, his health is also a factor, I think. You know, I don't know if we talked about that, but he's had injuries and things. And it's one of those guys you kind of think if he gets in the right spot, you know, gets in it with a Memphis, with a John Morant, who's going to give him shots and things like that. You know, you could see where, you know, a guy like that could probably find a nice niche. But but I think yeah. that's, to me, that's kind of what he probably is, a niche player, you know, that he's going to have to have help getting his shots, uh, which he did at Duke, for that matter. And uh, sure. so, anyway, wouldn't be somebody – I don't think the Kings could take, but at some point along the line, you probably, if he, you might like to have him out there on the wing with an open shot too. Tony, what do you think of all these sliders or a couple of guys that might be able to jump up into the number four or the Kings might end up trading down for? I think this is, might be a, a Bryant West point, but uh, I think I've seen him say thing something that I'm going to say right now, which is if you're going to swing for the fences at four and Ivy's there and Sharp is there, why not just draft Ivy? They probably have equal star potential and Ivy has a much longer track record. The one thing I would say about Sharp is that we know what the circumstances are in Sacramento. We know Monty McNair is heading into his last year under contract as a general manager. We know how much the Kings have riding on this timeline. They have to win. Now the Sabonis contract is coming up. They can't wait for a prospect to contribute. Uh, we know Monty's draft history. He's drafted older rookies, Halliburton, Mitchell, proven guys. 
if Monty McNair, of all general managers, in all circumstances, actually drafts Sharp at four overall in this draft, that would, in some twisted way, get me kind of excited that this guy, with everything on the line, believes in Sharp so much that the the guy who has maybe out of anyone in the lottery, like the the last business drafting a guy with this much question marks, if Monty McNair actually does that, I'd I'd kind of appreciate the, the balls, I guess, and then also get really excited about the prospect that again, Monty McNair, with all the circumstances of all play, of all evaluators, is like no. I'm going to take my shot at Sharp. This is how much I believe in him. So that's the one little aspect of, of Sharp where if he is the name that's called, there'd be a you know some time where I'm like kind of like, what's going on here? But another part of me where I'm going to get on board pretty quick because that means that this team must be really in love with this player. That's interesting. That feels to me a little bit like uh, if this cult leader is willing to kill an actress, then he must be right about something. So I'm definitely. Yeah. That would be one of those things. Yeah. He studied it very carefully and he's decided. Yeah. He studied it very carefully. If he got the plans. Yes. He needs killed and that's all there is to it. Yeah. (laughs) So that, that Tony, that, that, that scares me more than anything. I would not be excited. I would immediately be like, what are we doing? Are we in a cult? So, yes, okay. we've <laughs> given up the, the gamble. How up. much of our lives have we given up to this team? We, this is the cult. <laughs> yeah. At least Jerry got paid. Like, yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, you were going to say something. Go ahead. I apologize. I was going to ask you who you like in this range, Will. Yeah, um, I like Will Griffin um, more than AJ Griffin. No, um, it, it's it's one of those things that uh, it, uh, I'm I'm kind of with you guys in the sense that Shaden Sharp is is. He just scares me too much. You know, uh, it, it wasn't that way at the beginning when it sounded like he was going to go through with like workouts that like, oh, okay, he was going into the combine. I was like, all right, this kid, I'm interested in him. He was, you know, ranked number one for next year. So he's got something to him. And everything since then has convinced me. And I assume it, it could be that way with other gyms as well. It's like, wait, hold on a second. You're not going to be playing against competition. Wait, you're, you know, you're playing, you know, you're shooting against chairs and, like uh, I've, I've seen enough of those workouts from other people that didn't pan out, but it's like, okay, now it sounds very suspicious to me that you're, uh, you're trying to hide something where I thought originally he dropped out of the combine because he had a promise of some sort, you know, pretty high promise where he was like, Oh, nope, we, we don't need to, we we've already got our AOK from this team. Now I kind of feel like he was either performing poorly or they knew something was up to, they went, get the hell out of here before you drop to, to 22. You know, because I, I do think that him not playing for as long as he, he hasn't played, he could be somebody who could play himself right out of the lottery. I look at some of these other guys. I'd much rather have uh, somebody like Dyson Daniels, who's not that much older than him because Dyson Daniels went into the G League last year. You know, if we're talking young guys, I, I would much rather uh, Jalen Duran, who's going to be, you know, at the end of the lottery because he's almost a full year younger than him in terms of, you know, star talent, something that the Kings might need and, 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 and being young. So he just has enough there that to, to ward me off that I'm, 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 I'm out. AJ Griffin's fine. You know, I obviously, I don't think he's going to be the, the pick at four, but it will be one of those things that, you know, if the Kings we're going to get to it right now, but if the Kings traded down and picked AJ Griffin, I'd be like, all right, we, well, we've got small forward, buddy healed. Like that's fine. And, and uh, there's going to be very few people that the Kings will leave and I'll be like, I can't believe they did this. Now, I, I don't issue that as a, as, a, as, a, as a challenge, Monty McNair, if you're listening. Just, just know that like, I'm gonna, there's a lot of options here that I would end up being okay with. 
uh, and I think Shade and Sharp might be the my least favorite option of everything. I was trying to remember who the person you claimed pretty early on that you liked in this draft, and you snuck Jalen Duran in there. You snuck Jalen Duran in there right <laughs> now, was, and it reminded yeah. me. <laughs> I, I knew that's what you were searching for. And he snuck in uh, Sengun earlier. He did. He did. I guess <laughs> I did. I'm a poku away from getting – Yeah. I'm going to get everybody in yeah. there at some point. <laughs> Jerry already mentioned Mo Bamba. So and Maxi. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting the checklist out. <laughs> So, okay, so there is an option. Obviously, that's a very popular, uh, uh, very popular discussion topic uh, on King's Twitter and elsewhere that uh, the Kings could trade down. Now, we've seen absolutely terrible trades from uh, professional writers, quote unquote, that, uh, you know, blue check marks on Twitter that will trade the four pick for the 30 and the 52 and and next year's third round pick in the NHL draft, you know, they. I've seen everything and, and Bryant has done a fantastic job and Jerry, pretty much anyone here uh, has yelled at or made fun of people who have at one point or another, just assumed the Kings would trade the number four pick for three pieces of trash and, and, a, and, a, and a hefty bag. So, uh, so I get to ask you guys now who I will, I will make the claim. I will stake my flag and every single one of you guys being intelligent uh, for trade down targets. You know, whether that be teams or, you know, uh, particular teams that you think might want to trade up or particular targets that you like in the draft that you might want to trade down for or veterans plus a pick, uh, anything that you guys think of in terms of the Kings moving down a space or two or moving all the way out. Um, is there anyone there that you would move out of the four spot for? And uh, if so, who? I don't know. It'd have to be somebody who is a fringe all-star like close to Fox Sabonis caliber I, I think the worst player that I like am willing to kind of have a conversation about I think is like John Collins like John Collins in 16 because I think more likely than not I think the guys in the top four project to be John Collins possibly better there's a okay chance that they are better than him um so for the sake of a quick turnaround you'd be willing to swap for i i guess i see it i see the hypothetical offensive fit for sure with john collins and sabonis i think that sometimes i don't love collins on the defensive end even though i know there's been improvement there um that's trading all the way down to 16 like if it is believed around the league or specifically within detroit that it is a top four draft can you move to five and get something? Can you get, can you throw Rashawn Holmes in five for Jeremy Grant in four? I don't think so, but it depends on how Detroit views the, the draft. Can you get like a Sadiq Bay out of them? Um, is Malcolm Brogdon there at six? Like all of these I could talk myself into because I understand that Sacramento needs to turn around sooner rather than later. But I think ideally, I would probably still just take the pick at four um, unless you're getting something impressive. Like, like I said, John Collins is probably at the bottom of that conversation for me, but maybe like a Pascal Siakam or obviously if there ever became a case with Donovan Mitchell, where you're adding more picks on top of it. Um, so I, I think it would take a guy that's already a fringe all-star for me to be trading out. And I don't know, trading down doesn't really do it for me. What about you, Brian? I see your finger up to your face. Like you're thinking hard. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I don't want to trade down. Um, I'm, I'm, if, if Detroit called and said, hey, we'll give you Sadiq Bay just to move down, 
that's that's pretty much the bar of what I'm going to be considering. Um, and that's not realistic. I don't think Detroit's yeah. even going to consider that. So I, I don't want to see this team trade down. Um, I'd rather just grab one of those top four guys. But if Keegan Murray is their guy, I would really like to see them make it well known across the league. Hey, we're going to take either whichever one of the four guys is there. We're absolutely in love with Jaden Ivey. If he's there, we're going to take it. And then make teams bid against each other. If you're going to take Keegan Murray, I would like to see it be done at five or six. Um, but I'd rather, I'm, I would rather just stick it four and take any one of those guys. Jerry, do you have any ideas or any wants that you'd want out of the Kings? Well, you know, one thing I, I think the Kings probably could do, and I'm not saying I would do that, but uh, I think you could move down to six and Malcolm Brogdon for four. Sure. I, I, you know, I mean, that wouldn't be insulting by any stretches, I don't That's think. True. But uh, I, I, I don't think I would do that. I'd rather keep the pick. Uh, now, I was reading somewhere where somebody was saying, you know, would, would I trade the fourth pick for Brandon Ingram? Hell yes. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, somebody I saw that where, you know, the Kings should trade the fourth pick uh, uh, for, for Brandon Ingram. And, and, and I think we'd get, we'd get something else in the deal. And it's like, well, they wouldn't trade the, <laughs> they wouldn't trade Brandon Ingram for the first pick. There's no way, <laughs> you know, they, they, they got a young all-star all in the making, you know, so it was a former second pick. Has <laughs> proof has proven it. So anyway, those are yeah. I, I like reading all those things, and I mean it's it. Uh, I, don't, I sure don't like the idea of moving down very far. I mean, you know, I, I you know to me, you know, you're going to get a a really good player at four, and uh, I think the the best thing is to say, well, if somebody's in love with Ivy or Manchero and uh, and and they're available, one of them's available at four. Uh, and you're pretty sure you're, you're okay with somebody else and you can get something else in the deal. Uh, well, I think you, you, you might consider that, but, uh, but I, I don't, I don't see any teams doing that either. You know, I mean, they, they, they won't want to, they'll move, say Detroit or somebody's in, or Indiana would like to get Ivy, but uh, you know, how much would they do to do that? Would it be enough for you to, to give up that chance, I, I don't think it would be. So, you know, it's like most years, I, I don't think much will happen. Uh, you know, I like the fourth pick, uh, you know, whoever gets there and maybe maybe uh, the next Paolo Gazzello moves down, uh, yeah. you know, is available. Tony, what about you? Yeah, it's hard. Like if, I, if I'm in my own shoes, then I would just take the guy I want at four and call it a day. But if I put myself in Monty McNair's shoes and if he's in a scenario where the guy that he wants is going to be there at six or he's going to be there at five, let's say he wants Sharp or he wants uh, Keegan Murray and he knows Murray's going to be there at six, then yeah, I would take a free Malcolm Brogdon if you are going to get your guy anyways just later. So I hope he uses the draft board wisely. Like I hope he can maneuver and, and really like squeeze everything out of landing the fourth pick it would be my like ultimate hope that he actually just takes ivy or whoever the guy that falls in at four is but if they have their mind made up and mcnair has i mean 
I think we can say with some certainty that he kind of had his eyes set on Davion Mitchell for a while in the last draft. He took him a little bit higher than maybe other teams would have. So it's possible that McNair and the Kings have been scouting for drafting lower than this selection most of the year. Uh, not that they don't look at everyone, but you know they did move up in the lottery. It was a bit of a surprise. So if McNair has a guy that he's locked in on and he can get someone like Brogdon, even if I don't necessarily agree with like the, the value of that trade, I'd rather have him than not have him if you're going to take a bit of a reach at four anyways. Um, but the trading out completely, I just don't know who that player is. I, we've all looked at this for months now. Uh, and the, the finding like the perfect trade that makes this team like a lock in the playoffs, I just don't see where that is. I haven't seen that out there yet. You know, at one point, maybe you could have gotten Brandon Ingram, but that ship has sailed. Like he would have been a great target if the Pelicans were still struggling, but they're not anymore. Um, one kind of crazy name that I think I threw out last episode that still, still is in the back of my mind is Zion. Cause I don't know what the Pelicans are doing there. And he's got a, a million different concerns, but that's, that's a guy with star potential. Um, that's a guy who was a star, you know, a, a year ago when he was healthy. Uh, what is he now? I have no idea, but that's the only trade where I'm like, you're trading completely out and you're getting Zion. That is still in some ways interesting to me. Yeah, I think I think the the two biggest trade targets that people will talk about, at least from what I've seen, are uh, Bradley Beal still exists somewhere out there in the ether, so he'd be somebody that they trade for. Or Donovan Mitchell seems to be a little unhappy about uh, Coach Quinn Snyder being allowed to walk in Utah, and so the Kings might want to pair up uh, two guys that don't want to play defense. You know, one is a super Marcus Thornton and De'Aaron Fox, and and hope to hell like they can score 160 points a game. But those are the two that uh, that I've heard that uh, that I can I can see the Bradley Beal one, uh, the Donovan Mitchell one, probably less so even. But to me, those are the two that they kind of make sense and also are fairly popular to talk about in terms of trading out completely for. And neither of those do anything for me. Yeah, I wouldn't do Bradley Beal or Donovan Mitchell. I just wouldn't. I think you're. I mean, they're really good. But Bradley Beal's got some miles on him, and you're going to have to pay him a couple hundred million dollars, and. Uh, He's a volume scorer. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. We got a volume scorer now. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, uh, you know, I'd look for somebody really young on the, you know, we're talking about John Collins. I actually like DeAndre Hunter better uh, than Collins. And I know Atlanta does, you know, <laughs> and there's a reason, not just contract, but I think he's a better player. But, uh, you know, they, he, he checks a lot of the boxes that the Kings need uh, a, a guy that can guard somebody and uh, can play two forward positions. And it was a former lottery pick and getting better, but, uh, but I sure wouldn't do four for him. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, if we were seven, you know, when I, that, that would have been the kind of, kind of pick, I think you would have, would you rather have Griffin or, or DeAndre Hunter? I'd rather have Hunter I'll tell you right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so last my last set of questions for you guys are about uh, the exact opposite of this and trading up. Obviously, uh, there was some reports that the Kings uh, and OKC might have talked about uh, a possible trade up to number two under certain circumstances, and I, I I neglected to write down who that report was by when it when it originally popped up. But is there is there anybody that you would uh, how much would you give up and who would you give it up for? Say if you know the Kings if the Kings could trade up to OKC because Jabari Smith fell and OKC wasn't interested or Chet Holmgren, which guy would you be most likely to trade up for and how much are you willing to give up for them? Yeah. If it's trading up to two, I'm 
fine with either outcome. Uh, it's hard to complain. And, and either outcome to me is, is Jabari Smith Jr. or Chet Holmgren. I, I think both those guys fit really well as backcourt partners or frontcourt partners, excuse me, alongside DeMontis Sabonis in the way that they are really difference makers on the defensive end. And then they both step out on the offensive end and are able to hit threes. It's kind of the supreme version of uh, length and shooting. Like it's, it's kind of all that you could ask for. And to me, uh, the trade in my mind is just next year's first. I say just like, that's not a valuable asset. Like it is. And I think that's why it would be able to move you up to two in my mind. I, I think you do top four protected just to be safe that, say you end up in a similar spot where you're the 11th seed and you have your 6% chance of jumping into the top four. So just to save yourself from that in a draft, that's supposed to be pretty good at the top next, uh, next year, next time around this season. So protect yourself there. And, but more often than not, um, that picks going to convey that year. And the idea is that you're in the postseason next year in the, at very least play in conversation. And I think even just with, 60 65 games of Fox and Savonis compared to the 15 that Sacramento had this year and having to change a coach after 17 games and the drama of, of Buddy and Bagley and them moving on and the transition of not having Tyrese like I think they're already in a position where they're going to be in my mind they should be better than they were last year um, even if they just came back with all the minimums done um, and say that's Chet Holmgren who doesn't have a great impact in year one. I think that there's enough other factors for why they should improve that year one impact um, is not the most important thing to me. So I think adding one more future pick um, is in my mind, I think that's enough to get it done. And I, I'd happily do that for Cheddar Jabari because I mean, what was it at Atlanta and Dallas went from uh, they five and the top five protected pick next year to move up to three is a pretty close deal that ended up being five and uh forget where reddish went so it ended up being trey young and cam reddish for luka Doncic. um there's another scenario with one of the king's picks where it was swapped from philly first to um or boston had it at three i have this backwards philly had it at three yeah and boston was sitting at one and philly swapped the um, the Kings pick to move up to one. So typically in my mind, a even lightly protected lottery pick is enough to move you up uh, one or two spots at the top of the draft. And in my mind, it makes sense. And Chet and Jabari are really, really good fits alongside Sabonis. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm way more interested in trading up than I am in trading down to be able to get either one of Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren. Um, I don't want to pretend like uh, a top five protected first isn't a, a, an expensive addition to do that. And, you know, there is some risk of Sam Presti sitting there being like, I just really want Jaden Ivey. I'm going to figure out how I can trade down and get value. Just the same kind of conversation we're having at four to five or six. But if there is a, the, the, the threat there is that Houston would just snag whichever one of those two dudes. And to me, adding either Smith or Holmgren is just such an ideal fit next to um, the franchise pillars that this team already has that I think it'd be worth it on both ends of the court. Both players would really help with floor spacing. Uh, neither one of them needs to have the ball in their hands at all times to, to really be efficient. And they're both really good defenders at different aspects of defense, clearly. But um, I, I, if the Kings traded up 
on draft day, I'm one happy camper. Let me ask you a question, you guys. Uh, why why do does people think that uh, Houston would be interested in Ivy with Jalen Green? I mean, I, I have I just, no idea. I mean, that I makes don't know. no sense to that makes no sense to me at all. And then yeah. you know, with Kevin Porter Jr. as well. But I mean, it's it, to me they're just gosh, with the needs they have uh, with the and to do that makes no sense. That's the reason I I've always thought I, I don't believe that. I, it just seems to me like if I'm that's why Oklahoma City at two, I could see them very much being interested in Ivy to fit with with uh, you know make a three guard great three guard rotation because uh, uh, with Gilgis Alexander can play a small forward as well as a, a rookie last year who's big six eight and a playmaker. I mean I could see that as a little bit scary to be honest with you make a lot of sense and and for them to say well we can get this guy at four okay. You know, uh, if that's a guy we want, we can get him for much like as Danny Ainge says, you just talked about, did that with with Philly because he he had already made up his mind that he could get the best player in the draft at three. He didn't. And he knew the Philly thought that Fultz was well <laughs> and they were wrong. And so uh, so so I, I think, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think Sam Presti's a sharp dude. And and I, I really that that's always crossed my mind that that might be how they're thinking. If I was Oklahoma city, I think that's how I might think. I'd like to put those three wing, those three guard wings together. Uh, Cause I think, I think you could really put us, you know, could move up the ladder pretty quick. And now the other part though, I'm not sure why they'd want more draft picks. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, that just, uh, you know, now it'd be some miracle if they'd want Rashawn Holmes or something like that to give them a, a, a big body they could use right away type thing, you know, and something else. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I, I agree with you that I think that the yeah. hinge point of this draft is going to be too. If OKC does something unexpected, that's where I think it would be. I really struggle like you do with understanding why Houston keeps getting this Jade and Ivy talk because to me, it's just a whichever one of those power forwards is there at three. I think those are all the right picks. And like, I know that Will's just going to hang up on me when I say this, but <laughs> Paulo Bancaro is better a prospect than Alperin Shangoon. Yes. And no, I'm, I agree with you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm obsessive, but not crazy. Yeah. Redundancy at that size in playmaking also makes more sense to me than taking another high octane guard who especially in ivy's case is his downside is he's not a great playmaker which is already something that i think they kind of have to figure out with jalen green and kevin porter jr so to me houston's just going to take one of the power forwards that's why yeah. i don't think sacramento can just if sacramento absolutely wants to ensure that they are getting one of uh smith or holmgren they got to get the two and the only thing i'll say i agree OKC's already cornered the market on the picks. The only thing I can think of is at some point, Sam Presti is going to realize or is already realizing that his treasure trove of picks is going to mean much more on the open market than they will in his pocket. And I'm sure other teams are going to know that they're going to, that's how they're going to look at it when he comes calling. But at some point he's going to trade for star with those picks. And that's the only thing I could think of is, is he really going to be like, 
yeah, I have Sacramento's pick next year. You don't want to have that in, in the trade for, I don't know, Brandon Ingram or, you know, that kind of star who's going to come in and change the trajectory of their team. So that's the only thing I can think of. I would guess that they take that they take one of the forwards, Houston. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think my only the only way in my mind they don't is I think they're early enough in their rebuild that they should really just take whoever they think is more talented um, because who are their pieces that they like for sure want to have around Jalen green and Alperin Shingoon. And like, if you want to throw Garuba in there as well, like there are three first rounders from last year. And after that, like should Kevin Porter jr. Really be factored in um, should Christian Wood really be factored in. Like, I think that I the forwards make a lot of sense. That's where I would go. But if they happen to view Ivy as just a better prospect than say Van Caro, and that's left to be their decision. I don't think they're in a spot where it's like, Oh, Ivy just couldn't work there. I don't think it's an ideal fit. I think that one of them would have to like improve as a playmaker, but I do think that they're early enough in their rebuild that they should just kind of take whoever they think is more talented. Yeah. I tend to agree with you, Brendan, there a little bit, just only because they are so early on in their, in their rebuild. Well, they've got a, you know, the Houston's got a guard that's better than all of them, making forty-seven million dollars a year that don't play. <laughs> and that, hey, you know, that's who that's who Sam Presti's trading for. You know, he's dropping seven <laughs> picks on John Wall. He's going to blow the whole thing up for John Wall. No, and 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 to to Jerry's point about why OKC wants more picks, I think Brian, I think you, I think you pretty much answered that. They've got five potential first-round picks next year alone, but. I, I, I kind of assume just the top of that draft belongs to Sam Presti next year, wherever Sam Presti wants to go, wherever Sam Presti, whoever Sam Presti wants to pick, he can, he can, you know, uh, Victor Wembenyama is going to go first next year. If he wants Victor Wembenyama, all he's going to have to say is how many picks do you want as a rebuilding team? If, 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 if OKC doesn't get number one, do you want two picks? Because I have 23 of them. But, but tell you, but, but Will, tell you, here's the truth. If that guy's as good as people say is, I don't know. None of us yeah. knows. If he's the next Jabbar or whoever, you know, the, the, the clear number one, there sure. isn't enough. You can't give it, you know, if you've got the first pick, you, you're not going to take 10 first rounders. I, I'm, I'm actually curious about this, Jerry. You really don't think so? No, no, no. I mean, if I had a chance to draft Jabbar uh-huh. and you offered me 10 first round picks, I'd say, hell no. <laughs> I've got sure. true greatness, sure. true greatness, or LeBron James. I mean, when there's that guy, now there's no, that guy isn't in this draft either. Sure. You know, sure. uh, as a thought exercise. Know, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the surefire, truly great player that everybody knows is truly great and will be barring sure. injuries. No, there's not enough. There's not enough other draft choices really to, 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 to switch. No. So that's fascinating no. because I, I mean, how many, but I mean, if you're a Los Angeles Lake or Orlando, you, you had a chance to get Shaq the year Shaq came out. Now, really, how many, yeah. how many seven, eight, 10, 11 would you give up for Shaq? Yeah, sure. And what, and why would you? Because it, it's about quality. It's always about quality, not quantity. That's fascinating. You know, that's, you know, that's why, when Jabbar, for instance, was traded from Milwaukee to the Lakers, they actually got three guys in the deal from the Lakers that eventually made all-stars. Sure. They were all-star players. Sure. 
And now who, who came out ahead in that <laughs> deal, you think? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, I, that's my rant on that. No, but no, no. I, I appreciate that, Jerry. That's, <laughs> uh, that's a, and see, that's the difference between me as a fan going, no, absolutely. 10, 10 picks, you can, you can spread them out over a couple of years and I'm going to get, I'm going to draft enough good players to, to make it worth it, you know, but no, absolutely right. But to your point is that this guy may be just really good. He may be, you know, Jabari Smith yeah. good and sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Four four yeah. first rounders probably gets it done. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he just it, it he has as many bullets as he needs to fire off to 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 get the guy that he wants. Or or be stuck with a bunch of draft picks when his in his which could be dangerous uh, and the team is not very good. I've I've always just kind of assumed the NBA is gonna they can't Sam Hankey uh, Sam Presti. And so because he hasn't been doing nearly as long, he's he's done it enough. He's operated in a way that's a little above the hinky line that I could see just GMs coming together, big, make him eat them. Yeah. Make him eat every single draft pick and, and that be that. Well, I think he's got one more year. I do. I think this coming season is the last year. Then he he really, that team has to be a lot better or, or yeah. even Sam Presti, people start looking at him cross-eyed in the ownership chairs. I think they're a bit artificially deflated anyways. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, some of these injuries uh, at the end of the years for Shea Gilgis Alexander and some of these other guys, he, he's got, Hey, how you feeling today? I'm feeling fine, coach. I think you've got an ankle sprain. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're really hurt. You do. Yeah. 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 Oh, well. So, okay. So Tony, uh, sorry to get off track here. Do you, uh, do you have anybody you're willing to trade up for and what are you willing to give up for them? I think, uh, I think Brendan nailed it. If you can get, Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren and for I, I don't know if the if the price can be as low as Davion maybe it does cost uh you know the pick next year I don't know what is more valuable I guess it, it depends on the protections um the only thing I would add to that is I would be a, a a little terrified to be on the other end of a Sam Presti trade the the likelihood that you kind of end up on the on the right side of that um wouldn't make me feel good if you're if you're the Kings but the fit with Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren is so good. It's so nice that, you know, I, I think that's something you would pull the trigger on. Yeah. I think if Sam Presti wants to draft him, you just go ahead and draft him and feel like you did an okay job. Okay. So let's, uh, we're going to roll on to uh, this, this episode stretched a little bit. So we're going to roll right over to our uh, Patreon question of the day, Tony, why don't you go ahead and take that away? Great. Um, so on every episode of this podcast, we ask one question from our Kings Herald patrons at patreon.com slash Kings Herald. Uh, you guys submit questions. We will ask them all to Jerry and the panel here uh, on our Patreon exclusive Q&A. So if you submitted a question and don't hear it answered on this show, uh, tune into the Patreon show and your question will get answered. It doesn't matter how ridiculous. We've had some very silly questions in the past um, and they all get answered. So don't worry if you don't hear it right now. But this question comes from a, uh, I would say a, an MVP of, of King's Twitter here. Uh, Brett Huff, if you don't follow Brett Huff, he does great draft work, some great... Um, aggregation of of what draft insiders are saying so brett asks this week uh what do the kings need more an impact player or depth and how does that shape what they do on draft day trade up trade down or out so jerry how do you feel about that well it's a great question i mean they need an impact player i mean i think that's the easy answer uh, how do they get that impact player? Well, you hope through the draft. And uh, as we think we've already been discussing, probably the best chance of getting an impact player would be if you could move up to one or two uh, to get to get one of those guys that maybe even 
not not that probably everybody in the top four would fit very well. Top five would fit well with the current team, but there's a couple of guys that you would feel like would really, you know, if you could get one or two, they'd have a tremendous impact, and you're probably a, a full step ahead of where you'd be otherwise. So, you know, so it's always about impact. It's always about star star quality, and I think star quality can probably in this draft you might get it at five or six but you damn sure are better chance at one or two so so that, that, that's my cop out there if there's a way to get up there uh, with one of those two guys that we're talking about I think that would be a home run yeah I guess the debate comes in like with how Brett asked it is how soon does the impact need to happen because if if this is the Kings making the trade and they can get an impact player via trade who might have a lower ceiling than the impact player they could draft. Cause we have some timeline issues. I guess that's where this question gets a little bit more tricky is, is, you know, when can the Kings wait for this impact? Well, you know, to the thing, yeah, if you, you know, get an impact player, yeah. If you could trade four and, and something get Jalen Brown. Okay. You, you, you've done it. You just, but that, you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, so the, the, so the reality is, uh, you know, I, I think you, you've got to hope that who's available for will be that guy. If you keep it, uh, trading down is not going to be that guy. Not likely it's possible over the years. We know what's happened, but, uh, not likely, but, uh, you know, trading up is the best way. And it's also the hardest way. And the Kings have the least, I think the least assets in order to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I think the only time that you can have, a, I honestly feel like the only time that you wouldn't take an impact player is if you're already in a position where your roster is so full of impact players and you can't uh, pay anymore. And that's not the Sacramento Kings problem. They need talent more than anything. Yeah. So I think I lean towards an impact player because I think that they help the depth as well. I think that if you're getting a guy that is a, you know, one, two, or three option, which I get is a, a high ask, but say a third option on a team, then all of a sudden Harrison Barnes is your fourth option. And I think you feel a lot better about him with that sort of responsibility. And everybody else on the roster has a little bit less responsibility. And I think the depth feels a little bit better when Dante DiVincenzo doesn't throw up these crazy shots because there's other people that have more offensive responsibility in front of him he'll still probably find a way to throw up one or two, but um, yeah, I think everybody else having a little bit less responsibility because you bring in someone who fills that one of those top three scorer options kind of helps the depth indirectly there. So I, I go with impact player. No, I agree with every single one of you guys. You guys, uh, you guys nailed that one. Perfect. So let's, uh, let's roll over to, uh, to Jerry for the, uh, the Reynolds wrap up. Jerry, what do you got for us? Well, I've, I've got some uh, just basically advice, a totally different thing here. I'm going to talk to you guys, you young people, about marriage. As you know, I, I'm old and I've been married a long time. So here's my advice. If you want to be old and married a long time, basically uh, do just a couple of things. Uh, just remember that your wife, your beloved wife that you took, for better or for worse. And as you've been married more than four or five years, you've delved into the worst part. Okay. You got a little shot of worse. Okay. But here's what you got to do. Always remember this every day. 
Your, all, all she needs is food, water, and a compliment every damn day. It, Monday, a compliment. Tuesday, a compliment. And do not forget Wednesday, okay? If you can remember that, you got a chance of getting through that, getting more better and less worse, okay? So Mrs. Reynolds is gone now, so she's not hearing me say this. So, uh, so I think we got a chance at 54. <laughs> how, how many days a week do you get a compliment in return jerry uh almost never and uh <laughs> almost never and you know it used to bother me now it's you know it's just part of the job you know what i'm saying it's just part of the job so if you're if you're, but there again i mean if you're if you're a little extra sensitive eh, get over it you know uh, you got to remember that when your wife married you she thought she could change you she saw the flaws when she married you. And then as time goes on, she realizes that yeah, I can't change this damn guy. So, uh, so don't expect a lot of compliments. You just, you just do what I tell you. Now I'm telling you, it'll, it'll, it'll work for you. I'm the fa you. the okay. fact that she stuck around Jerry, that's the compliment in itself, right? Yeah. It, it really hadn't just been the, the, the sex drive. It's been <laughs> other things to be honest with you. And I have no excuse now. <laughs> this thing better work. That's right. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. I got to go uh, yell a compliment down the hallway. <laughs> well, yeah, you might want to soften it just a tad. Yeah. <laughs> well, from everyone here at uh, Dear Annie, um, I'd like to thank you. For, <laughs> I'd like to thank you for another, uh, another episode of the King's Herald Show. Um, uh, we, we appreciate all your support and listening in every two weeks or every two and a half weeks when one of us goes away on our honeymoon or or uh, catches a, a life-threatening illness and uh for uh for, for brian and brennan we want to thank you guys for coming on uh excellent work as usual thanks for uh thanks for putting up with the harassment and uh and uh we will uh, we will see everyone in uh, in two weeks just before draft day so uh so tune in and uh and uh we'll see you again uh we'll see you again later <laughs>